0: We are so glad you decided to join us today for Compelled. Bob Morrison is here to get us thinking about what it means to live a compelled life. Hey, good morning, guys. I want to read to you a little bit. This is in Matthew 14 and I'm using the uh, New Living Testament this morning. Uh, This takes a little bit, but we're talking about stress. And man, stress can own you. And so I want to just start by reading this and then we'll talk a little bit. When Herod, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife. Now, I don't know if you remember that whole story. He's all about this lady that he marries. And basically she was the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. And he's kind of showing off. There's a birthday party takes place. And it's uh, Herod's wife's little girl. And he's basically telling her in front of everybody, Hey, I can do anything that you'd like to have for your birthday. I'm the guy. I'm the king. I can do anything. There's nothing you can ask that I can't produce. And in that, basically what happens is Herod's wife doesn't like John the Baptist. And you have to remember that John was really vocal he was one of those guys that he didn't have a filter you got friends like that right and john was the kind of person who would just say what was on his mind and he always backed it up with what god was putting on his heart so basically he had told john uh, hey you know there's no way that you should marry this lady it's wrong blah 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 and it's kind of puts a king in a really uncomfortable position and it makes the new wife feel really uncomfortable. So it's kind of like this golden opportunity where the new wife says, Hmm, the King's wanting to give the daughter whatever she wants for her birthday. I want to get rid of John the Baptist. So let's just roll with it." So she tells a little girl, Hey, go and tell your new stepdad that what you'd like for your birthday is John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so king herod's kind of like sitting there going uh and everybody's looking at him he doesn't really have a way to not honor this vow because kings just don't do that once you open your mouth and you say it it's done so of course he has to have john beheaded and that's where all that comes from it said that John was beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a tray, given to the little girl who immediately took it to her mother. See, the whole deal was the little girl's just doing it to make her mom happy, and the mom's doing it just to shut John up so that it makes it a little easier transition for her to be married wrongfully to Herod. It says later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what happened. And that's where we pick the story up. So you have to remember that Jesus loved john the baptist in fact they were blood you know these guys had been together for a while john had kind of prepared the way he was the one that when you read in the bible where it says prepare the way for the savior's coming all of the uh all the prelims all the trailers of the movie that was all done by john the baptist he's basically telling us that's dude is so awesome when he gets here you're going to be blown away and me John the Baptist, I'm not even fit to unstrap his sandal. Now, what he's really saying is, uh, in biblical times, people who had foot washing servants, servants whose basically their lowly job was to sit there and wait for somebody to show up and they would kneel down in the dirt, unstrap the sandal, which obviously had everything you can imagine on the bottom of the sandal because that's what they've been walking around in, got a serious amount of goat and camel poo embedded on the bottom of it. So your servant was really in a lowly position. He unstrapped the sandal, took it off, and then washed the traveler's feet or the master's feet. So John was saying, dude, Jesus is so awesome. I'm not even fit to be that guy. I'm not even fit to be the one to untie his sandal. And there was this love relationship between the two because they were both empowered by God to spread the word of God. You know, Jesus shows up fully man, but you got to remember he's fully God, fully man. So Jesus is also fully aware of what John is doing, the energy that he's bringing to tell everybody about the arrival of the Messiah. So there's a lot of intensity going on. And Jesus is basically out doing his thing, but he gets word of each thing that's going on. So it's not like they have texting or internet. It's not like someone's going to go, Hey, did you hear what just broke on Facebook? Someone has to come and find him and tell him what's going on. So it's on this day that we pick up the story in Matthew 14. It said, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He had to be so disgusted with people And he could have went at that moment. He could have just went back and said, You know what, Herod? It's time that you see who I really am. And I'm going to put a major can of smoke on all of you. I'm just going to waste everybody in the room. But he knows that in the timing of God, he can't do that. But he still carries the angst and the pain of a human. I mean, one of his BFFs has not only been killed but in a horrible way. I mean, come on, beheaded, head brought to the birthday party. Yeah, the very line says, after this happened, it says, later John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. So he's got his disciples going, uh, hey, Jesus, we, we got some tough stuff to tell you. There's no way around it. We have to tell you. And it said, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and they followed on foot from many towns. So already, it's like the crowds are in that me, me, me attitude. The stress level has to be phenomenal because he can't have time to grieve. He can't have time to go off by himself to reckon with the idea that John is dead, that he's been beheaded, the whole horrible piece of it all. Instead, he's got the crowd pressing in on him. And he's literally saying, hey, I'm going to go over here by myself. I just need some time. I just need some time. And the disciples, they're kind of like, um, you know, they're struggling. I'm not going to say they're bench setters, but they're pretty close. They're not aware of how to handle things. They're, They're not a great PR team. And they're certainly not a great security team. They're kind of more like a posse. They're so amazed by what he's doing that they just want to be in his presence. And they have every opportunity to tell everybody, hey, get back. He needs some time. You heard me. Nobody's getting in the club tonight. He needs to be left alone. But it doesn't happen that way. It says when the crowds heard where he was headed, they followed on foot from many towns. So he almost has to put his stress in a little box and put it away. He's not allowed the normal time to deal with the things that are being handed to him. I mean, he's probably over on some little hill and he can see all these people coming from everywhere. They're coming on foot, they're coming on donkeys, they're coming in boats. Everybody knows that Jesus is over here. He's over here. This is the guy that gives us what we want. And you got that gimme, gimme, gimme crowd because everyone who is sick, who's been suffering. Some of them have been carrying around an illness their entire life. Some of them have just heard the amazing stories and they just want to be in his presence. Everybody is hearing this and they want to be around him. It said, the crowds heard where he was headed and they followed on foot for many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. You see, he goes right back into full-blown jesus mode he doesn't allow himself to say hey can i please get a minute he doesn't turn into a karen and say you have no idea the kind of day i've had you have no idea the kind of things i'm carrying around uh hey you all can come back tomorrow and oh by the way call first but he doesn't do that it says that he immediately has compassion on them this is the part that makes me love jesus This is what separates us, you and me, from him. Even if we had godly power, I mean, if we were fully God and fully man, right now we would still trash it up because we don't want anything other than what we want. But he, being Jesus, it says he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. I absolutely love that, that he can put all the pain and all of the angst inside of him all the things that he wants to deal with on a personal level. And he says, no, no, we're not going to deal with that right now. We're going to deal with the fact that these people have traveled with their sick. They've come with their hopes and beliefs that maybe God is real. They've come to say to their children, hey, if I can just get you to Jesus, he can heal you. You're going to get to walk again, or you're never going to cough again, or you're never going to bleed anymore. Whatever it is that they had in their illnesses, jesus is the answer so let's go on with this story we're, we're still in matthew 14 it says that evening the disciples came to him and said this is a remote place and it's already getting late send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy food for themselves here we go again you know it's still happening stressometer has to just be going off the map I mean, you know, in the cartoon, how it shows the stress meter with the red needle going all the way to the right and just dinging against the right side. It's got to be getting there, you know, because the disciples, once again, could be handling things. But instead they go, hey, I know you've had a long day. Uh, Your buddy John the Baptist was beheaded. And oh, yeah, we did see you heal all the sick. And we know the crowds are pressing in from everywhere. And that whole go be alone thing didn't quite work out. But uh, oh, yeah, we got more for you. We need one more thing. We always need one more thing. Can you do just one more dance for us, Jesus? Can you fix one more person? Can you bring one more miracle? We don't know how long that shoebox of miracles is going to last, but could you pull one more out for us? So they're telling him, hey, it's really late. We don't have any food. You need to bust this crowd up and send them away. They want Jesus to be the bad guy. Because they could easily do that. They could walk out to the crowd and say, Jesus is done you all, uh, Elvis has left the building, thanks, have a good night, we'll see you next week. But they don't. Instead, they go to Jesus and say, hey, can you solve one more problem? Um, there's this massive group out here, and they don't have any food, so could you just send them away? But Jesus, here's my, one of my favorite lines, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary, you feed them. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, did I hear that right, Jesus? It sounded for a minute there that you wanted us to take the stress, to take the pressure, to do the miracle. Um, We're thinking you're the headliner. You know, we're the opening act. How could we possibly be able to feed this crowd? And they go on to try to argue with Jesus. In verse 17, they say, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Now my version in the Bible, there's it, it an exclamation behind it when he says that, uh, because they're they're freaking out. They're like, "Oh, dude, um, he never says what he doesn't mean," and uh, it's one of those moments where they realize that they got to get a little agitated, get a little uh, turn up the volume to make sure that Jesus understands. Uh, hey, Jesus, you know we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, right? So Jesus being calm, cool, collected, it's almost like you could see him sitting at a desk and he just scoots all his papers out of the way, lays his pen down and he says, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves of the two fish. He looks up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. There's no Tupperware in these days, so I'm not really sure what they're going to do with that without Ziplocs. But 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. The part of this that just blows me away is Jesus always does one or two things at the same time. He's got to be under so much stress. I mean, We freak out if somebody knocks on the door at supper time, and we go, oh, wow, there's two people on my front porch. Can I put a meal together for them? But Jesus, yep, you're mourning the loss of your buddy. You didn't get your downtime. You didn't get to refresh. You're trying to do all these miracles all across the countryside. And oh, did we mention we got 5,000 guests, and they brought their kids, and they brought their wives. Uh, oh, could you feed them for us, please? And uh, yeah, the refrigerator's empty. We got a couple of cans of tuna and half a loaf of honey honey wheat bread. Yeah, it's, it's so intense for you and I to try to imagine, well, oh, I couldn't even possibly do that. I'm just going to tell Jesus he needs to do it. Hey, Jesus, can you handle this? And he puts it right back on him. He holds a mirror up and says, hey, uh, here's who's going to feed those people. Yeah he puts it back on them so that they can understand the immensity of God, the ability of God to take on whatever it is. This is the part that we really we miss. If we were to tell the story of ourselves and say I was put in this position where there was a massive amount of responsibility and in the middle of my work week I've got like 37 things I have to accomplish for my boss and then my best friend gets killed that day by an angry mob or whatever, and it comes to me, and oh, can you go ahead and work late today? And you say, no, no, you don't understand. I just lost somebody really dear to me. And your pressure is going na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na inside your head. You want to run and hide, you're willing to go hide in the utility closet at work if you have to, just to get away, just to stop it, just to make everybody quit asking one more thing. See, if we told the story, we would be telling about how we got to that point and then we'd say, and then we quit. And then I just drove away and told them, you know what, I don't need this job. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, the writing doesn't even say that he's experiencing a massive amount of stress. How's that possible? How's it possible that he is taking on all of this at the same time? And then we realize there's this little hint When it says that he takes the bread and the fish, he looks up to heaven. Where is his source of comfort? Where is his source of strength? You and I, we start our days out, if we forget to pray, we don't look to heaven. We look in the mirror. We say, all right, here we go, we can do this. And guess what happens? Halfway through your day, you're done. You've already given all you can give. You're ready to just throw your hands up and walk away. We can learn a lot from Jesus and I think that that's really the key. He wants us to learn from him. His writings, the things that are told about him in each situation, there's a scenario that takes place in the Bible. Every one of those teaches us a right way and a wrong way to take on the stress that day-to-day life hands us. What we do with it is the difference. I know that you get things handed to you that there's just no way to deal with. So do I. I mean, I don't know if yours is health. Maybe you're facing time behind bars. Maybe you're already behind bars. Maybe you're laying in a hospital bed wondering if you're ever going home. Maybe you've been sitting in the same house in the same chair for a year or more. Maybe you feel like you have zero friends. Maybe you feel like love is never going to find you. Maybe you feel like your heart's going to always be broken. Maybe you feel like this is the day you give up. Maybe you're still struggling with addiction. Maybe you're just trying to make all the people around you happy. Any of those sound familiar? See, I'm not blind. I watch humanity. I watch the way that they come into a store, at a grocery store for example. I watch how they walk from their car. Some of them walk like their legs will barely carry them. I watch the people get in the electric scooters and cruise around the grocery store to get their few items. I watch people count money because they don't have enough to pay for it. I watch the ones that are so full of themselves that they're driving a car. two times the value of what they can really afford, but they do it because they want to impress one person to make them feel better about themselves. I watch people who come in in ragtag clothes that look like they couldn't afford a new pair of jeans if they had to. I watch people come in with so much arrogance because they have to build a wall in order for them to not show all the stress behind them. They're all there, and they all are making the same mistake. You know, they're all trying to solve it in their own mind and in their own way. There's something about the idea of surrendering our stress to God. We want to think about stress like, oh, okay, I'm having all this stress. I'm going to go in here. I'm going to take all that stress, put it on the counter, and walk away, just like you return an item at a store. It doesn't work that way. Jesus tells us, you know, and In this world, we're going to have trouble, but it's how we do the day to day. It's what we do with that stress. It's how much we embrace Him. It's about how we talk to God and say, Hey, God, this is a tough one for me today. I lost somebody I love. God, this is a tough day. My relationship's in the toilet. God, I feel terrible. My body won't carry me anymore. God, I'm scared. God, I'm alone. It's okay to tell them that. Even to say, God, I'm angry at you because it's not turning out like I thought it would. Yeah, I know, that that ruffles some feathers because there's always somebody in the traditional church will say, oh, you should never be angry at God. Hmm, really? Because Jesus says, come to me with whatever. He doesn't say, you can come to me as long as you put it in equal paragraphs and you're nice and friendly and kind and you don't say any bad words and blah, blah, blah. No, he just says, bring it. There's nothing you can bring to me that I can't carry. That's the part I love so much about Jesus. He's like, just bring it. Just come to me, connect with me, find me in your start of your day, in the middle of your day, in the end of your day. If we can figure out a way to just take that stress and say, hey Jesus, it's time. I need you to carry this for me. We don't have to feel bad about handing it off to him because he's shown us over and over in the Bible that he's working with this amazing power, God. God has the ability to take it all away. God has a way of getting us through the next day. God has us uh, believing in him instead of ourselves. That's really what it's about. It's about surrender, remembering that we're not the fixer, that we're not the healer. We don't have all the answers, but we know somebody that does. Hey, this is Bob Morrison. I'll see you somewhere out there. We are truly thankful you chose to spend some time with us here at Compelled. If you enjoyed today's message, we encourage you to like it, share it on social media, and check out our website, compelled316.com. God bless you, and we hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you somewhere out there.